Um, yet not I, but Christ. <clears throat> yet I just messed it up. Anyway. <clears throat> Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. <clears throat> you know, the, the reality of life is this. As we... As we muddle our way through life, and I, I like the I like that phrase, muddle our way through life, because there are times in our lives that's exactly what it feels like, is it not? That we're just kind of muddling our way through, and and we don't always understand what and what why things are happening, and but we're we're just kind of muddling our way through, and and the the reality is, as we muddle our way through life, we we often make mistakes. That is just part of life. Everyone in this room, I can guarantee, regrets something. We all do. Why? Because we all make mistakes. According to Dr. Richard uh, Kiner, I think I said his name right, of uh, Arizona State University, he said the common regret uh, uh, was not, uh, uh, okay, the most common regret was not being a better student nor studying more. The most common regret uh, is not having more self-discipline, not being more assertive, not taking more risks, not spending quality time with families. One of the things that he found uh, surprising in the study that he did is that very few people, when they get in their later years of life, very few people regret not making more money. Now, oftentimes for younger people, that is a regret. But as you get older, you realize money is really not a whole lot. I have found, this is my own personal thing, is that we regret basically two things. Our words and our actions. I guarantee when I said that everybody in this room regretted something. I can almost guarantee it was one of those two things. Wishing that as the words are rolling off your tongue, wishing you could pull them back. Regretting an action or actions. As I thought about this idea of regret, I uh, and the, the two words and actions... Um, <clears throat> my, my mind was taken back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus actually addresses both of these multiple times uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. But uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, if you were to take the Sermon on the Mount and, and boil it down to one sentence, it would be something along this line. How to live a life that is dedicated and is pleasing to God. Free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, 
full of wisdom and discernment. So if you were to take the Sermon on the Mount, boil it down into one sentence, I believe that would be, it would be close to something like that. But let's see what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount about our words. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, but let your conver- uh, excuse me, your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more uh, uh, than these cometh of evil. There should never be a question of our sincerity when communicating to others. If we say something is, is true, the person we're, we're talking to should believe it. But unfortunately, we live in a world today that lying is more prevalent than truth. But Jesus says, our yea should be yea and our nay, nay. Anything other than that is evil. Our words are important. Our words reflect what is going on in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 to 37, it says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, uh, uh, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So in other words, whatever is going on in the heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that, a, that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be just, justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Our words are important. The other thing is, let's see what uh, Jesus says about our actions on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, in verse 13 and following, it says, uh, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt uh, have lost its savor, savor uh, wherewith shall it be salted? If it is uh, thenceforth, uh, it, it is thenceforth. All right, let me slow down. It is thenceforth. Anyway, it's up there. Uh, good for nothing. <laughs> um, but to uh, but but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot. Ye are the light of the world. A light that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, this this section, this portion of Scripture that, that I just read, there are two illustrations of our actions. One is the, the, the light of being, the light of the world. And we, we can understand that because we live in a, in a world where light is very prevalent. We all have electricity, so we all understand what light is. But the first part of this, it talks about being the salt of the earth. 
And we don't always understand the impact here of what's going on. Because salt for us is a very cheap commodity. Uh, I can, uh, my wife and I recently uh, bought a, a thing of salt at Sam's Club. And I mean, this big old box of salt, and it was only a couple dollars. So we don't think of the, the price of what salt is worth because it's very prevalent in our society today. But have you ever heard the phrase, a person that's worth their salt? Have you ever heard that phrase? Do you know where it comes from? Okay, it comes from the Roman, the days of the Roman soldiers. Okay, salt was a premium. Salt was something that was worth a lot of money. And in fact, oftentimes the Roman government paid the Roman soldiers in salt, and then they were they would then be able to trade it for for food and and other th- such things that that they would need. It was incredibly valuable. So what they would do, see, what we do is is um, how many of you have ever um, made ice cream in a in a in a, a one of those machine things, you know, the little crank handle things. <laughs> What do you do when you're done making the ice cream? You just dump it out, right? Well, back in this day, they would, they, would, they would reuse the salt over and over and over until it lost its saltiness or its savor. And then it, became, it would just become worthless. And it says that they would then take it and they would cast it out into the street and to be trodden underfoot. And what the the illustration that that Jesus gives here is when we as believers lose our savor, our saltiness, if you would, we become worthless. Our actions are important. Our words reflect our heart. Our actions reflect our character. John Morley wrote this, No man can climb beyond the limitations of his own character. J.C. Watt Jr. said, Character is doing what's right when nobody is looking. I like that. Job was a great man of character. In Job chapter uh, 2 and verse 3 it says, "And, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and shall stand, and, and, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, um, although thou uh, movest me against him to destroy him without cause. <clears throat> Job was a man of great character. Sometimes, when our words and actions are not what they should be. And we've all been there. We've all been there. We can get to the point where we just want to give up. Can we not? We feel like we have dug a a hole that is too deep to get out of. We feel like there's no way 
to move forward. But I'm here to tell you, we serve a gracious God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. There's always a way out. That ye may be able to bear it. There's always a way to do right. Always. The title of my message is this. Time to do right. Time to do right. In our passage we're going to read this morning, we will see some indicators that the brothers of Joseph, Joseph's uh, nine, nine brothers, are finally starting to show some growth of character. After, after all these chapters that we've been reading in the life of Joseph, finally the brothers are starting to get it. We will also read some very unfortunate, hateful words. So let's read uh, chapter 43, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 43. Let's start reading in verse 1. And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, Ye shall not see my, uh, my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, when, uh, wherefore uh, dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And then we told him according to the tenor of, of these words, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And we thank you for this, this, this story, the account of Joseph and his family in Scripture that we can learn and grow by it. Help us, dear God, this morning to have open hearts to your will for our lives. We are truly grateful and thankful. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we see here that Judah is the one that steps up. And if you if you go back to chapter 42, uh, it, it is Reuben that does the talking in chapter 42. Reuben 
<clears throat> is the number one son, uh, the oldest son. The, the number two son, Simeon, is in prison in Egypt. But Judah is the one doing the talking in chapter 43. He is the number four son. Finally, he is standing up to his father and saying, look, this is what he said. If you're not willing to do this, we're not going. Because <clears throat> this, 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 we, we need to take him with us. But before we get into Judah, because we're going to spend the majority of time talking about Judah this morning. But I want to, I want to stop and I want to, I want to look. At the first point this morning is the harsh words of their dad. The harsh words of their dad. In verse 6, And Israel said, Wherefore uh, uh, dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether uh, ye had yet a brother? Here in this verse, he is identified as Israel. Back in chapter 32, God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, it says, And and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. The word, the name Jacob literally means supplanter. Jacob was, well, the, the, the word supplanter even goes further. It means to, to replace, especially by force or treachery. So Jacob was a man that was incredibly dishonest, and would do anything to get ahead in life. We, we know this because uh, that's exactly how he lived. If you go back and read this, the, the account, he, he literally tricks his dad and his brother into getting the birthright for the family. Because he, he was the second born, not the first. But he connived his way through to get the, the, the birthright from his father and his brother. He, he schemed his way uh, with his father-in-law to, to become a very wealthy man. And he schemed his way through over and over and over. And in verse 6, he looks at his sons and he asks them a, an incredible question. Now, now get a hold of this because this is important. He looks at his sons and he says, why did you tell the truth? Why didn't you lie for me? That's an incredible statement. It's no wonder that 10 of his 12 sons were worthless. They were they were connivers themselves. They were treacherous. They were evil men. And their dad looks at him and says, why didn't you lie? I want to I give you a free commercial here, okay? Uh, parents, parents, listen to me, okay? <clears throat> Grandparents, listen to me. 
you will raise children just like yourself. And that is exactly what Jacob did. He raised kids just like himself, with the exception of Joseph. We don't know much about Benjamin, but we know that the, the first 10 were rotten to the core. You will raise children just like yourself. You know, I have had parents come to me and say, why do my children not want to walk with God? You know what I say to them? Do you walk with God? If you don't walk with God, guess what? Your kids will not walk with God either. It's that simple. And here is a perfect example. If you want godly children, walk with God. If you don't care, it doesn't matter. Point number two. Let's start. Let, let's talk about jo, uh, Judah for a little bit because th- this guy, he, he's really interesting. In verses three through five, we see that uh, Judah comes and he steps up to his dad and he says, "Look, if if you're not going to let Benjamin go back with us, we are not going." It's, it's as simple as that, Dad. My question is, who's Judah? You know, we, we, who is Judah? Well, I'm glad you asked. In, in, chapter, in Genesis chapter 38, Judah marries a, a woman of a different faith, someone who does not worship the God that he worships. A pagan, if you would. What does the Bible say about marrying people that do not agree with us spiritually? Very, very clearly says, do not be, uh, not to be unequally yoked. So Judah makes a huge mistake marrying the the wrong woman. He has two sons. Their names are Ur and Onan. In Genesis chapter 38. Verse 7, it says, And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now, I have a question for you. How wicked does a person have to be for God to take him out? Pretty bad. And that's his, this, this is Judah's oldest son. Onan wasn't a whole lot better. In Genesis 38 and verse 10, it says, and, and the thing which he did despised the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Judah does not have a very good track record at this point. Judah, we could say, made some major mistakes in his life. Earlier I said, we can get to the point sometimes in our lives where we feel like we have dug a hole so deep that we are never going to get out of it. That there's no way to move forward. We can feel like that sometimes because of the regret of words that we've said and actions that we've done. I wonder if Judah felt like that. 
I don't know. We're not given a, a, a description of what Judah was thinking, but we can, we can see that in chapter 43, Judah is the one stepping up and is starting to do right. Now, I want to I stop here, and I, I want to back up just a little bit. Our theme this year is to be resolved. And, and for the most part, we have focused on the life of Joseph because the word resolved describes the life of Joseph from a, from a young boy all the way through to his death. He, he was resolved to serve God. But what about us that have made mistakes along the way? Is it too late to become resolved to serve God? That was a question. Okay. <laughs> no, it's never too late. And Joseph, or, uh, Judah, not, not Joseph, Judah had made some major mistakes in his life. It, it, was, it was played out in his family. It was played out when he was part of the, 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 the group of brothers that sold his own brother into slavery and tricked his, their father. But Judah, here in chapter 43, is stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm going to start to do right. Starting now, I'm going to do right. And there are times in our lives where we need to do that. I want to take a little side side trip here for a second because this is this kind of gives us an insight to what is taking place right now in the life of Judah. Okay? Later in Jacob's life, his dad, Jacob, uh, later in his life, just before he dies, he calls all 12 of his sons together. And he and he for for the most part kind of tells them um what's going to be happening in their lives. He doesn't, he doesn't really bless them. He doesn't really curse them. He just, he, he just kind of, and we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but he just kind of tells them, hey, this is what your life is going to look like in the future. And for the most part, the brothers, well, let, let's, in Genesis chapter 49, uh, in verses 1 and 2, And Jacob called his sons uh, unto, unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I might tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. So let me give you an example of what the majority of the responses are, okay? Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 49, verses 3 and 4, he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellence of a dignity and the excellence of power, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. That's not a good thing. Because thou wentest up to thy uh, father's bed. 
then uh, defilest thou it. <coughs> he went up to my couch. So, so that is the majority of what Jacob has to say about his 12 sons. Okay, it, it, you know, this brother did this, this brother did that. But I found something really interesting when it came to Judah. Now, you could imagine what he has to say about Joseph, and we're not going to go there yet. Uh, it's, it's positive. But what he says about Judah is really interesting. In Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, it says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brothers shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From, uh, from the prey, my, my son, thou art gone up. And he stooped down, and he <clears throat> crouched as a lion. And as a, an old lion, who shall uh, rouse him up, the, the scepter shall not, not depart from Judah. Can anybody tell me what that phrase means, that, that the, the scepter shall not depart from Judah? I'm sorry? The lineage of Jesus Christ goes through Judah. David and so on and so forth. King David, Solomon, all the way down to Jesus Christ. That is an incredible thing. It does not go through Reuben, the oldest. And it doesn't go through Joseph either, but through Judah. Why Judah? I believe it's because Judah finally decided, I'm going to do right. After all of the mistakes that I've made, I'm going to live for God. And he, my friend, was resolved to do right. And God blessed him for it. Nor, uh, nor a lawgiver between uh, his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the uh, gathering of people be. <clears throat> How did this transformation take place? Judah, a man who raised who very clearly married the wrong woman and raised horrible kids. Yet God blessed him. How did the transformation take place? The same way it can take place in our lives. I believe with all my heart that Judah drew a line in the sand and said, you know what, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to be resolved to live for God. the growth in Judah's life. Letter A. Did I give you the did I give you point number two? Sorry about that, Chris. <laughs> so I went right over it. Sorry about that. <clears throat> the growth in Joseph in, in Judah's life. Letter A, he cared about others. He cared about others. Look at verse eight. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we, sh we will arise and go, 
For we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. All of a sudden, Judah, Judah got it. The first step in doing right is realizing that life is not all about me. See, what, what, was, what was Jacob's problem? Jacob was a trickster. He was a manipulator. Everything had to be about him. And he raised ten sons that were exactly like him. But finally, Judah got it and said, you know what? It's not about me. People are going to start dying if we don't do something, Dad. Finally, for the first time, he got it. When they returned from Egypt, the, the first, the, the, when, when they returned and, and they had to tell Dad that Simeon was in prison and that, uh, and that uh, Benjamin needed to go back to Egypt to prove that we were telling the truth. It was, it was not Judah who was doing the talking. It was, it was Reuben. Reuben initially makes the plea. And if you go back and read the account, it is, it is almost as though Reuben is making a, self, a, self, a selfish plea, saying, hey, Dad, it, it, you need to let us take Reuben back so I, we can go get our brother. There's, there's, no, there, there's no remorse. There's no anything. It, it, but it almost sounds selfish is the way he does it. But Judah realizes that there are other people being affected by this. And it's no longer about himself. And if we are going to be resolved to serving the Lord... And we are going to move forward instead of living in the past. We need to start realizing that it's not about us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he hath uh, loved not his brother, who he hath seen. How can he love God? whom he had not seen. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The growth in Judah's life. Number one, we saw that he cared about others. Number two, he took responsibility. He took responsibility. Look at verse 9 of our passage. <clears throat> I will be surety for him of my hand shalt thou require of him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever for except we had lineage surely now we have had returned the second time and his father Israel said unto him unto them it is 
if, if it must be so, then do this and take the best fruit of the land in, the, in your vessels and carry down uh, the man a present uh, and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And they took and, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks. Carry it again in your hand. Preventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again unto the man. And the God all, and, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I, if, if I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. <clears throat> Judah takes personal responsibility for the actions that are going to take place. In chapter 42, verse 37, Reuben says, Dad, if, if, if we don't return with Benjamin, you can kill two of my sons. But that's not what Judah says. Look at, look at what Judah says. <clears throat> he says, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. In other words, Dad, if, if, if I do not bring him back, kill me. He was taking personal responsibility. The first step. in doing right is realizing it's not about me. The second step is realizing I need to take responsibility for my own actions. And finally, one of the brothers that was responsible for selling Joseph into slavery was taking responsibility for his own actions. Finally. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I, when I was a child, I spake as a child. When I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There, there's a time where we just need to grow up and take responsibility. Taking responsibility is doing the hard thing. And that, that is in itself the definition of character, doing the hard thing. <clears throat> at the beginning of the message, I said that everyone in this room, everyone in this room regrets something. My question to you is this, what, what is that thing? Is it something that you said, something that you did, maybe something that you thought? I, I don't know what it could be. It, it, that, that's, that's between you and God. But let me ask you, have you ever resolved that thing? The reality is this. You cannot move forward until you put the past behind you. 
And if you are dealing with things in your past, it's time to ask God to forgive you and move forward. And that's exactly what Judah did. He took responsibility. He realized it wasn't about him anymore. And he took responsibility. He says, you know what? I'm going to live for God. And God blessed him over and abundantly because of what he did. Had Judah made mistakes in the past? Absolutely. But it was all about moving forward. So, this morning, let me share with you one of my favorite verses in the Bible that I, 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 I quote this verse often to myself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, He doesn't just forgive, but He cleanses. And when he does that, he gives us the ability to move forward. We serve an awesome God. I don't know, honestly, I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. But I believe with all my heart that someone here this morning is dealing with something and and you need to just ask God to forgive you and move on. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, thank you for Judah. What a, what a wonderful picture of your forgiveness and blessings. You not only forgave, but you, you cleansed him and gave him the ability to move forward and then blessed him abundantly. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God that loves and forgives. Help us, dear God, this morning to move forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me